Get your Bibles out. Get them out. We're going to use them tonight. Or your Bible apps. If you don't use an actual physical Bible and use a smart device, that is cool too. As we are going to jump right into the Word of God tonight. And I like to really get into it. And tonight I decided to draw some pictures for you guys on the whiteboard as well. Let me spin that around so you all can see. We are going to look at Romans chapter 1 verse 17. We're going to start right there. Go ahead and put it on the screen. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. So he says the good news or the gospel shows us how God makes people right with Himself. Remember, that's, that's, the, that's the good news, the gospel. Um, it shows us how God makes him right with himself, and it, he, he says, and it begins, or it starts, or it is through faith, from start to finish. It's all through faith. Everybody say faith. It's important. So those who are right with God are going to live trusting him, but you have to do it a certain way. The just shall live by faith. Next verse, Hebrews eleven six. Put them on the screen. I'm going to blow through these. Y'all just write fast. If you're keeping notes, Hebrews eleven six. without faith is it impossible to please God. Without what? Faith. Y'all have heard this before, right? If you've been in this church, you've probably heard this passage before a little bit. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is or that he exists and that he is a rewarder or he rewards those who earnestly or some translations say diligently seek him. So you remember that God is a rewarder. But what kind of person does he reward? Those who earnestly seek him. So when you stop seeking him and you stop seeing rewards, there's the reason why. He says, I'm going to reward you, but you've got to earnestly seek him. So God wants to make sure that you understand that there is a, a process to following him. You've got to earnestly seek him, and there's a way to do this. Um, the Bible says, of course, you do this, the just shall live by Faith. Now, if the Bible teaches that we should live by faith, that we have to seek and connect God by faith, that without faith it's impossible to please Him, um, then does it make sense that we should have a clear understanding if we're going to really serve the Lord and fulfill the purpose and plan of God for our life, that we should have a clear understanding of what faith means? I think it makes sense to us. Now, some of us think we know, some of us do know, some of us are going to find out. That's just where I feel. You got to remember this. I have grown up my entire life hearing some of the most magnificent, including my own father, especially men and women of God preaching on faith. And what I've learned about faith is that it is multifaceted. It's like staring at a diamond. It, 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 it's just got so many different angles and layers to it. And there's just not one, you know, one single approach towards teaching it that people seem to grasp it. And so I'm going to try a different way, my way tonight, and hopefully it helps you to understand it. Um, but Put uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 up. I'm going to show you something, and, and this is something I believe will help you. So we all, we've, if you, again, if you've been at New Life Church, you've probably heard this before. For we live by faith, not by what? Sight. And so we've been taught that faith has nothing to do with sight. But what, what particular type of sight does it have nothing to do with? Your physical sight. That's what he's referring to. It's what he's referencing. He's saying it doesn't have, it's not that it has nothing to do with sight, but a specific sight. Your physical eyes has nothing to do with your physical eyes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show with you I'm gonna show you through uh, the Word of God tonight that faith is actually it actually has a lot to do with seeing, more than you even realize. 
But what, what faith has a lot to do with seeing is seeing from a specific type of perspective, from, the, from God's point of view. So we're going to come back for that. But I'm going to write a few things down, and I want you guys to follow along with me, okay? So we're going to talk about what faith is and what faith is not. I am the kind of person, can you see that? Pretty much. I'm the kind of person that I don't just learn from what is, I also learn from what isn't. It helps, to, it helps for me to learn to see what somebody did wrong sometimes as well as some, what somebody did right. And so I wanted to, wanted to initiate right from the get-go before we get into this to talk about what faith is not. And so I'm going to write a few of these down so you can understand this. First of all, faith is not desire. Faith is not desire. Just because you want something doesn't mean you're in faith. You understand that? A lot of people believe, well, just because I want it from God, that means I have faith in God. No, they're not the same. I remember being a kid, a teenager, about the age of my son is right now, 15, 16 years old, and I wanted a car. Well, just because I wanted a car doesn't mean I was in faith for a car. Not the same. Now, desire can lead to faith, but just because you want something from God does not mean that you are in faith or, in fact, have heard from God. It's just, you know, a lot of people want stuff that God doesn't want for you. Just because you desire something doesn't mean it's from God or it's, it's a promise from God for you. So, you know, you can crave all you want, doesn't mean it's faith. So faith is not desire. Another thing faith is not, and this is a big one too, faith is not pretending. Faith is not pretending, and this is where a lot of people struggle too. A lot of people think that faith is, you know, a lot, what it comes down to is this. People think that something can be true that isn't true just because they have faith to be true. Like, for example, I could sit on this podium. I could, sit a, I could sit a tub of yogurt, I mean healthy yogurt, and I could tell you all day long that I have faith that this is not yogurt, that it's actually pudding, chocolate pudding. Oh, no, no, Kenny's banana pudding. Oh, my gosh. If I could set my faith on something, that's what it would be. But you want to know something? I can pretend all day long. And at the end of the day, I, my faith is not going to transform that yogurt. It may still be tasty. I know it's probably better for you. But it's not going to transform that yogurt into pudding. That's not how faith operates. That's not how God has instructed us to have faith operate. You can't pretend and get from God. That's not how this works. And so you've got to understand that. So faith is not just kind of, you know, trying to, trying to pretend that you can make something happen that it's not. Faith is also not this. It is also not... Psyching yourself out. I spelled that wrong. You get it. Faith is not psyching yourself out. So you can't just go, oh, yeah, 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 now I'm in faith. Woo! Like you can just motivate yourself to all of a sudden be in faith and psych yourself out to go crazy. Or so. That's not faith. You can't con your way into God's blessing. You can't manufacture your way into God's blessing. You can't manipulate yourself into some kind of frenzy into the blessing of God. That's not how this works. So that is not faith. I listed a few of here because you needed to know what they are and what they are not. Faith, and this is a real big one. Faith is also not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. A lot of people struggle with this one because this is, and this is important. You've got to understand that most of the time, feelings actually get in the way of faith. Because your feelings aren't always honest. 
Your feelings can change based on your good days and your bad days. Your feelings can change because you had a good meal or a bad meal. Your feelings can change because somebody said something mean to you or somebody said something nice to you. Your feelings can lie to you all day long. And so if you live for Jesus based on your feelings, good luck with that. It's not going to work out so well. And so faith is not a feeling. A lot of times faith says, in spite of what I feel, in spite of what I feel right now, I'm going to do what God's Word says. A lot of times that's where the struggle is for many of us. And so faith is not a feeling. Faith is also not this. You cannot in faith bargain with God. How many of you love bargains? How many of you love to get on a good bargain? You like to barter with people and try to get sweet deals. You can't do that with God. You can't bargain with God. God, you know what? If you'll do this for me today, then I'll do this for you tomorrow. I promise you, God, I'm good for it. No, you are not. Because if you were good for it, you'd already be doing it. You can't bargain with God. Bargaining is not faith. God's not a gambler. It's not like God's like, hey, give me that Josh Huffman scratch off. Let's see if this will work today. <laughs> no, that's not how God's thinking. Cracks me up. You know, it's like you can bribe God. That is not faith. And what we're going to look at, and, and I'm probably going to break this up over a couple, couple nights because I'm not, it's not gonna, clearly not going to get all through it tonight. Faith is a way of seeing. It is. It's, not seeing, it's just not seeing through your physical eyes, but it has very much to do with seeing, and it's a way of looking at the world. Faith is looking through God's perspective. You're learning to look through God's perspective. You're learning to look at this world through God's eyes, through God's filter, through God's glasses. That's what the Bible teaches. Let me show you a few verses. Hebrews 11.1. 1. What is faith? Faith is the confident assurance of what we hope for is going to happen. Is going to happen. Not what might happen is going to happen. And we, be, we can be certain of the things that we do not see. Everybody say, do not see. Do not see. And that's important because, again, I'm just telling you, I was just telling you that faith has something to do with what we, with, with sight. But yet this scripture says with what we do not see. Again, the emphasis on our physical eyes. Because God is teaching us that just because you can't see it doesn't mean God can't see it for you. There's a lot of things that when you're going through a tough time or you're going through a struggle or you're going through a rough patch or you're facing a mountain, there's a lot of things that that object, that mountain blocks that God wants for you. It's just like standing in front of a big tree and trying to wonder what's on the other side. You can't see. So you've got to trust that whatever you're wanting to get to is still on the other side. And that's what God's getting to. He's saying, listen, you don't, you don't live for me by trusting what you can see. Because if you only live by what you can see, then you won't receive all the things that I have for you that I can see that you can't. It's really important. So God is emphasizing this. Just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not God's will for me to have it. And so the Bible says faith is, in fact, a way of seeing. It's just not through our physical eyes. And there's always, there's always more than one way to look at something. How many of you have learned that? There's always a different perspective. And this is really what it comes down to. I mean, if you're married, you know this. If you've if, if, uh, you got kids, you know this. Um, if you are in your 30s and you remember how you lived in your 20s, you know this. Because as you, as you get older and different responsibilities and different parts of your seasons of life... You know, you start to see things differently. And this is, this is what we're applying here is there's a different point of view. And, and what really matters is not how you and I see it, but that we can start to understand how God sees us. 
that we can start to understand how God's Word speaks this. And, and that's the most important thing. So faith is learning to see things from God's perspective, from God's point of view, and, and, and applying that in our life. So faith is very much a way of seeing. Now, one of the most important verses is Ephesians 1.18. Ephesians 1.18, and this is what the Bible says. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you can see. There it is again, talking about sight. Now, he's not talking about physical sight. He's wanting you to see so that you can understand, so that you can see that confident hope, so that you can understand the wonderful future that God has promised for those who he has called. Again, this is another way of God saying, I need you to start to see through my eyes, through faith. This isn't through your physical eyes. This is through your spiritual eyes. Well, what does this mean particularly? What in the world is he talking about? You know, there's, uh, my, my heart don't have eyes. Well, what he's referring to is this. Again, there is an unseen world that is, in fact, in many ways more real than the world that we do see. Like right now, you see this podium. It's made out of acrylic. You know, it's been sprayed black or something like that. But, and, and everybody in here, you know, you can see this physically. I mean, you can touch it. You just heard me, you heard me smack it. But can anybody in this room physically see the Holy Spirit right here, right now? No. But the Holy Spirit is more real than this podium is. He is. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit of God is eternal. One day, I won't use this podium. It'll crack, it'll drop, it'll splinter, it'll chip, something will happen, it'll fade, it'll look, like, it'll look like crud, and I won't use it any longer. But the Holy Spirit of God is eternal. He stays renewed. He stays alive. He's, he's, he's never going to fade. He's not going to get old. He's not going to... And so you begin to understand this is now the realm of the unseen where faith begins to really... Really, you start to understand the power of faith and where that world of faith needs to come into play. And so, and so in Ephesians, that was a prayer. He's praying that we would start to see through God's perspective, that we would stop seeing with our own physical eyes and stop living so much on what we can and can't see and what we can and can't touch and what we do and do not have, but we would start to trust through God's eyes what God's plan and purpose is for our life and what God wants for us. And so this is very, very, more, very, very important. Bible teaches us that everything we see physically is temporary. Everything. Your favorite outfit. Maybe you're wearing it tonight. Maybe you're going to wear it tomorrow. Maybe whatever. At some point, it's going to fade. At some point, at some point it's going to go away. Your favorite vehicle. Your favorite whatever. You name it. At some point, it's not going to be there any longer. It's going to be temporary. You all know me. I believe God for like, well, basically 25 years for a truck. And I finally got one this past year. Love it. But I know that I'm not going to have this truck forever. I know that. It's temporary. And so the Bible teaches us to don't place your faith in temporary things. Don't place your joy in temporary things. It makes no sense. If it's, only, if it's here today and gone tomorrow, then my joy is here today and gone tomorrow. Then serving God is here today and gone tomorrow. That's not God's best. And so he says, understand this, that this unseen realm is where real faith takes place. The Bible has a lot of different examples of what I would say, uh, what I would consider um, seeing with the eyes of the heart, as Ephesians 1 is referencing I listed a few. Genesis 21, uh, I don't know if you remember this story, but Hagar and her son Ishmael. Sarah, Abraham's wife Sarah, was very jealous, did not like the fact that Hagar had a son Ishmael through her husband Abraham. Don't ask me about all the logistics. Lots of drama in the Old Testament. All I know is this. Sarah was jealous, got mad, made Abraham kick her out. While she was out in the desert, she starts crying out to God. 
saying, God, I don't want to die. I don't want my son to die. And God, the Bible says that God spiritually opened her eyes so that she could see a well in the middle of a desert. There's an example of God opening her spiritual eye and leading her by faith, even though she couldn't see it and in a moment of distress. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 6, so Elisha and his servant, uh, Gehazel, I think his name was, I can't remember correctly, but this is, I taught on this not too long ago. So they were surrounded by an army feeling threatened. And if you remember the story, the prophet of God, you know, his, his servant is distressed and he prayed for him that he would see through the spiritual eyes of God. And when his servant opened his eyes, he saw God's army surrounding them and was at peace. And so again, there's a moment where the eyes of his heart are opened up before God. He wasn't afraid anymore. Genesis 13, God took Abraham up on a hill and he said, Hey, Abraham, look, at, look up at the stars. And the Bible says that, that when Abraham looked, God opened his eyes and, and God spoke to Abraham and said, You can't count these stars, can you? No, I can't. That's going to be your inheritance. That's going to number your sons and daughters on this earth. You're going to have one of the biggest families. It's going to be your nation. You can't even count it. And so God opened his eyes and he had a moment of spiritual clarity and purpose and vision. That's seeing through faith. Um, in the New Testament, after the resurrection, the Bible says that a couple of Jesus' disciples were walking down the street and they were ridiculously sad because their Savior, their rabbi, their everything had been, they had been following, giving their lives for, he had just been crucified. They didn't know he had been resurrected yet, and so they're walking down the street just discussing things, sad about it. The Bible says Jesus just appears and starts to walk down the street with them. They had no idea it was him. Didn't recognize him, couldn't tell it was him. And the Bible says Jesus was like, hey, let's go, let's go have some food. So they go have dinner with him. And the Bible says while they were eating dinner, their eyes were opened, and they were, oh, snap. That's paraphrasing. That's not what it actually says. But they were, Jesus is here. You know, and they talked about, wow, what an amazing moment. And, and their, their spiritual eyes were open so they could actually see Jesus in his resurrection in that moment. I mean, there's lots of different, you know, lots of different, uh, different stories here where, where you could list uh, and, and where you could see where God opened someone's spiritual eyes. But again, I'm emphasizing this unseen realm is where faith mostly operates. That's where it operates. And so you're not living by what you see physically, but you still are seeing. But you're starting to see through God's perspective. So seeing has been, been, seeing has been a very valuable thing to me. How many contacts or glasses wearers do we have up in here tonight? I see you got, if you're wearing glasses, I can tell. I wear contacts. I won't gross you out by touching my eye to prove it. But I do. I've been wearing them since I was about 15 years old. So I was playing baseball one year. I was a really good baseball player up until I was about 14, 13, 14 in senior league. Um, I started playing high school ball. Had an awesome freshman year. I mean, actually dressed varsity for the team a bunch with a, with a real deep team. Was playing really good ball. Uh, my freshman year, my sophomore year, I led the team in strikeouts. My dad was like, is going on, son? My grades were slipping. All kinds of stuff was just all of a sudden happening. And dad was like, what is the deal? And so my uncle at the time was an optometrist. We went to visit him in Virginia. And he said, I'll hook you up with the family discount, you know, half off. So he, so he, he gave us, he, he put me through that eye exam. And I, basically, I couldn't see squat. Passed my, passed my hand. <laughs> my, my dad was in there and he was listening to the results. And dad was like, you're blind as a bat. I was like, well, that's not very nice. He was like, yeah, it's true. So my, my uncle got me some glasses. I put these glasses on. I got into the vehicle. We were driving, and, I, and I, I was like, oh, my gosh, I see trees. It was like a song from, like, a Disney movie. I see trees and birds. And, and my mom is up front, and she starts crying her eyes out. She's like, my son, my son couldn't see. 
It's like, sight's important. <laughs> so it feels bad. And so from that point forward, contacts and glasses it is. And I wear them daily so I can see, and it's just important. But I'm going to ask you all to kind of play a game, a little bit of a pretending game, imagination. Imagine that you were forced to wear one of two pairs of glasses for the rest of your life. And these glasses would determine your perspective on life. One pair of glasses, and you would see through faith. You would see through God's perspective. The other pair of glasses, you would see through fear. You had to choose. You had to choose one or the other. But you had to wear them. And when you wore the glasses that you see God's perspective, you would live by faith and you would understand that. But if you chose the the glasses to see by fear, then this is how it would look like. And this is this has kind of helped me, and I thought I'd break it down this way. And, and so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to emphasize what, what faith is and what faith is not through the lens of living, seeing through fear. And I'm going to show you the contrast. And again, I'm going to split it over two, two services so that way I can really emphasize this first part the way I believe we need to. And so in order to do that, we're going to look in the book of Numbers. Yeah, that's right, numbers. Some of y'all have avoided that because you're like, I don't like math, the word numbers, algebra is not my thing. Actually, it's not read by many people, but there's so much spiritual truth in it. So don't let your fear of math keep you from receiving from the Lord. All right, background numbers. We're going to look at chapter uh, 13 and 14, roughly. So Moses had just led the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, into freedom. They escaped from Pharaoh. They escaped the Egyptians. They had just crossed the Red Sea. Remember that big story where, where Moses parts the Red Sea. As they're crossing, the, the sea starts to close in and, and destroys Pharaoh and his army. And they're rescued. And so now they've been traveling. They've been traveling, but it's just under two years. And keep that in mind. They've just been traveling just under two years. Not 40. Not 40 years, because if you're familiar with the story, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And you're going to find out why when we get to this. But they've just been traveling for two years. It's a slow walk. There's a lot of people. They got goats. They got wagons. They got everything. They had to take all their possessions with them from Egypt. And so it's a slow walk. We understand that. But still, it's been two years to uh, basically cross the Sinai. And so now um, they come to this place, and, and they're right at the brink of walking into their promised land. God had promised them this land. This is where you are going to live. You are going to dwell. You are going to thrive. You are going to grow. You're going to be blessed. This is my promise for you. And they are right there. And they stop at this place called Kadesh. And at Kadesh, Moses decides, hey, you know what? Let's just send a little secret ninja spy party out there to, to check it out. And just to make sure we just come through a couple years of wandering. We just come through all of that with Pharaoh and the Egyptian army and everything. Let's just make sure. And so they send 12 spies to do a little fact finding and see what's going on and spy the land out. And so when they come back, you got, I think you had what, 12 spies or something like that. Yet when they came back, two spies say, it's incredible. Let's take it. It's the promise. Let's do this. They're all fired up. The rest of them, the rest of them said, yeah, it's nice, but there's giants, there's issues, there's problems. And they started listing one by one by one all these problems for why they couldn't cross over and possess the promise that God had given them. So at this point, they're not seeing through God's perspective. 
they've got those glasses of fear on. And you need to understand that. And so, um, let me read for you the names of these guys. I wrote these, wrote these down. And, and, and if you've heard of any of these guys, if you've heard of any of these guys, I mean, let me know. Raise, raise your hand. Um, Shapet. Nobody. Eagle. Palti. Gadiel. Y'all know Gadiel, right? No. Amiel. Sether. N Nabby. Gul. That's how you just say it. Shamu. Not the whale. Hands down. Now, how many of you have heard of these two? Caleb and Joshua. Right. I wanted to say that right from the get-go because you need to understand something. Nobody's re nobody remembers the negative guys. Nobody remembers the spies who had an evil negative report. Nobody's, nobody remembers the guys who were cowards. They don't. The two guys they remember are the guys who had a positive, let's take it, the courage. They remember Caleb. They remember Joshua. And so you've got to understand that. So we want to, we want to see through God's perspective. We want to see through the, through the glasses, through the eyes of faith. That's how we want to see. But these guys, these guys saw through the eyes of fear. And because they failed to see through God's perspective, because they failed this, there was an entire generation, an entire generation that did not get to live in God's promised land for them. An entire generation. So God said, you failed the test. Because they failed the test, what only took them two years to arrive, they wandered around for 40 more. 40 years they wandered because they failed to pass the test at this moment and didn't cross over. So we're going to start with what happens when you look through the eyes or the glasses of fear. And I'm going to write these down so you can see them. Uh, there's five things that we find through this passage. The first one is this. Fear has a tendency, first of all, to exaggerate. Exaggerate what? The problem. Fear will always exaggerate the problem. Um, we tend to exaggerate the hard stuff, and, and this is an amazing thing. So God had just delivered, he had just delivered them from Egypt. At that time, Egypt was by far, not even close, the most powerful uh, nation in the world. I mean, the army, the wealth, everything, the influence, they had everything that you would ever want. And God's God had delivered, miraculously delivered. These people physically walked on dry land where the Red Sea was, where it was parted. Watched as they're walking, watched walls of, of, of this huge body of water stand there, parted. And then they physically watched that, that Red Sea close in on Pharaoh. While they were still enslaved by Pharaoh, they watched all of those, all of those plagues hit those people. So you're talking about some of the most amazing displays of power, and yet God delivered that, that lived, He delivered them through all of that. And so they get to the point where now they're ready to cross over into the promised land, and essentially, inst instead of crossing over, they're afraid of this tiny little tribe. That's like, that's like Marshall beating Alabama in the championship game, and then, and then coming back and being afraid of playing like, you know, uh, Milton Middle School. That's the equivalent. I'm serious. It's that ridiculous. And this is where God's people are. This is so, so silly. And so when you, when you look at your problems through the eyes of fear, it's going to exaggerate the problem. 
It's going to make it seem worse. It's going to make it seem more difficult. Numbers 13, 27, 28. Let me show you. Because pretty soon, like, if somebody criticizes you, if somebody says something negative to you, all of a sudden it's not just one person criticized you, it's the whole world hates me. The whole world's against me. Nobody loves me. That's what happens. Numbers 13. Here's the negative report. They say, it's a magnificent land. All, you know, said the negative spies. But it's a magnificent land, but the people living there are powerful. Oh, they're powerful. And he says, there are towns and large and fortified, but we saw, uh-oh, giants. We saw giants. And once more, there's Anak. Anak, y'all know who Anak was. Anak, he was from the tribe of Skywalker, and he was strong with the force. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. Look at the next verse, Numbers 13. Basically, he says this, the people there, uh, the other men who explored the land, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. In other words, guess what they're going to do? They're going to crush us. They're going to squash us. They're going to destroy us. And, and, and the majority, and this is what you've got to understand. This is the majority of the spies. Remember, only two spies had a positive report. The rest of them had a negative report. And I wanted to point this out real quickly, is that the majority report is almost always negative. The crowd is always going to take you the world's way. It just is. Jesus warned us of this. Paul warned us of It's all throughout the New Testament that whenever you live in this world, the world is not going to lead you to Jesus. It's not going to lead you to faith. It's going to lead you to fear, and it's going to exaggerate the problem because this world wants to destroy you. It just does. The enemy wants to destroy you. And so you've got to understand that many times for you to operate in faith, you're going to have to go against the flow. You're going to have to fight against the crowd. You're going to have to fight the majority of the report who's saying that it's not going to happen. And so here, uh, the, the actual the Hebrew word is akal, A-K-A-L. And that, I looked that up. It means to eat up, to devour. So essentially what these negative spies are saying is we're about to get ate alive. They're going to chew us up, spit us out. They're going to devour us. They're going to destroy us. They're bullies. They're tyrants. These guys are going to crush us. Um, they're, you know, they're going to take us on, and we're, we don't have a chance. Only two of the spies have any kind of faith at all, Joshua and Caleb, and yet, and yet people, for some reason, they still tend to trust the majority, even though they're negative. And I don't know why that is. Because if, and this is the thing about being negative. Negative is attractive to negative. So, so what ends up happening is this. If, if you're negative, you're going to end up finding somebody else who's negative to agree with you. I don't know why it is it works that way, but you'll post something on Facebook that's negative, and you're going to get 50 comments from people all negative. You may have one that says something encouraging. You can make it. It's okay. Everybody else is just going to fall in line and agree with you. Find anything that has to do with politics right now, and you'll, you're, you'll, you'll see it. Anything negative, say something mean about Trump, say something mean about uh, the Democrats, say something, everybody's going to join in and just get nasty and negative. That's how this world works. Negative tends to attract negative. It's ridiculous. And so here's the, here's this pro uh, the problem is negative is contagious. It's like a virus. It just spreads. And so this is what's taking place. The 10 come back and they say, we can't do it. This place is filled with giants. You know what's wild about this? I don't have time, but 38 years later when they finally, the next generation finally cross over into the promised land, you know what the people there said when the, the nation of Israel, Israel actually crossed over? The people who were, you know, essentially the enemy, they said, we've been waiting for nearly 40 years in fear and terror because we heard what God did when you, when you escaped from Pharaoh in Egypt. 
how he had brought you out. So we knew the day was coming where you were going to come and cross into our land and take it for yourself. They've been sitting there for 40 years that whole time waiting on God's people to see through God's perspective. And instead, God's people saw through fear, exaggerated the problem that kept them from, from receiving the promise. So we exaggerate the problem. Second thing it leads to is this. When you exaggerate, it leads to underestimating. What I mean by that is you start to underestimate what you're, underestimate what you're capable of. You, you, stop, you start to underestimate what your own ability is through Christ. Numbers 33, 13. The Bible says, they, say, they said this, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We seemed like grasshoppers, like bugs in our own eyes. And we, that's how we look to them. Talk about low self-esteem. Talk about no courage at all. They had, they, they're looking at each other and they're comparing themselves to the giants and they're saying, we're bugs. I mean, these guys are going to crush us. They're going to step on us. They're going to destroy us. We're grasshoppers. And I read this and I think to myself, how do you know what you look like to the enemy? How do you know that's how you look to them? I mean, I just told you that the enemy knew. They had heard that God's people had power. And they're already underestimating their own ability. You know, how do you know? There's a word for that. That word's called projection. How many of you have heard that before? I don't mean like a projector like the screen, although it works similar. Is that you project your fear that you have in your heart or your insecurity you have in your heart, you, you project that on everybody else who's around you. And that's what they're doing here. you got to remember, God's people had been slaves for nearly four, 400 years. I mean, beaten and destroyed for 400 years. And now there's a fear there. There is. There's a fear that they, they might end up back enslaved. They might end up back in what they were before. They might end up back, um, you know, uh, enslaved by Pharaoh, but now all of a sudden, it's not Pharaoh, it's just an idea or a concept. They're not even afraid of a physical person. They're afraid of the thought of it. And it's keeping them from the promise of God. I know this, there are people who, somebody said something about you, something mean about you back when you were a kid, and it still shapes who you are today. I know that there are people who did you wrong or hurt you years and years and years ago. And, you know, some of it you overheard. It may not even be true. But for some reason, you allowed it to just become something in your mind that shapes you. And you still have moments where it's triggered, where that fear creeps in. And you project that fear. And instead of stepping out and doing something by faith, you underestimate what God can do through you. And so instead of taking a risk and instead of stepping out and instead of stepping up and instead of stepping over and breaking through... You stay back because you're worried and you're concerned and you don't know what God can do through you. And this is what happened. It's, just, it's like this self-imposed prison, you know. And you got to remember this in Christ that your primary identity is not your sin. It is not your problem. It is not your error. It is not your mistake. It's not what you did wrong. It's not, it's not the issues that you've been, you know, dealing with your whole life. Your primary identity, if you are a believer right here, right now, is I am in Christ. And if I am in Christ, I am victorious. If I am in Christ, I have everything I need. But a lot of people struggle. They struggle with that identity issue. They'll say, I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm a follower with these issues. I'm a follower with these problems. And they've struggled so much. And they project the issues larger than they project Christ. And they underestimate what God can do in and through your life. So what happens. It's through the, that's the second thing. Exaggerate, underestimate. When you, stop, when, you stop under, when you start to underestimate, that leads to discouragement. 
discouragement, and discouragement is a killer. So they've exaggerated the issue. They've underestimated what God could do through them, and now they're discouraged. Numbers 14, all the people began weeping aloud, and they, all, and they carried on all night. You know what that's called? It's a pity party. It's a pity party. Old school, my parents used to say that to me all the time. Stop having a pity party, and it would make me so mad. Oh, my God, not having a pity party. Now I'm angry. That's what they're doing. They're having a pity party. They're, they're discouraged. When you get discouraged, this leads quickly to, number, to the fourth one. And I'm going to kneel, but not because I'm praying. It leads to complaining. Discouragement always, always leads to complaining. Where you go from, you go from, you know, all of these issues, exaggerating, you're underestimating yourself, now you're feeling discouraged and down and you're having a pity party, and now it's going to come out because the Bible says whatever is inside your heart will find its way out of your mouth. When the squeeze is on, what is in there will come out, and now you are complaining. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Numbers 14, verse 2, after all night that pity party, the Bible says they all grumbled. They grumbled against Moses. They complained against Aaron. They're picking on the leaders. They're saying things like, we wish we'd have died in Egypt. We wish we could go back. This is the worst thing ever. And, and they're mourning and they're murmuring and they're crying and they're complaining, all this discontent. And, and they're, they're, they're critical. They're dominated by their fear. They're dominated by their doubt. They're dominated by all these issues. And they're saying, we wish we could just go back. We wish we could just go back. That leads to the fifth one. And the fifth one is this. We blame God, and boom, the cycle is complete. That fear cycle has now completed. You're blaming God. Numbers 14.3, they said, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? We'd be better off going back to Egypt. Wouldn't it be better if we could just go back? I read that, and I think, are you kidding me? So now all of a sudden they're saying, we know better than God. We know better than God. He was wrong. Remember, this is through the fierce perspective. They're not actually afraid of anything physical, anything of substance. It's just something in their head. And they've exaggerated the problem. They underestimated what God could do through them. They've been discouraged. That discouragement led to complaining, and now they're blaming God because now they know better than God. Why in the world would God lead us through all this mess, all through these issues, just to face these giants who are going to crush us and kill us because of ten guys' negative report? Ten guys' negative report kept a million people from entering the promised land. Ten. That negative report. Should have gone back to Egypt. Should have gone back to Egypt, they said. It's not God. They think they're blaming God. God's holding us back. God's not holding them back. Who is holding them back? Their fear. Their fear is keeping them from crossing over. And now they say, we wish we, wish we could go back. Remember the good old days back in Egypt? Good old days. You were enslaved for 400 years. Are you kidding me? That's what they're talking about. It shows you, it shows you what, what, what can happen, the devastation that fear has on the mind when you refuse to see through God's perspective and live by faith. Because fear has a way of convincing you that, 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 that being enslaved under Pharaoh and under Egypt was safe. It has a way of convincing you that the old life, the struggle, the addiction, the problem, the mess, the, the issue, all of that was safe because you, you knew what to expect at least. And this is what they're dealing with. 
hey, at least back in Egypt it was predictable. At least back in Egypt it was comfortable. At least back in Egypt I knew what was going on. At least back in Egypt I knew I was only going to get, you know, a slice of bread every three days and they might chuck a water at me every once in a while. But at least I knew what was happening. Yeah, they'd kill my family. Yeah, they'd beat me. Yeah, but it was, you know, at least I knew what was going on. And I'm thinking, man, this is what, this is what seeing through fear will do to you. It'll keep you from entering into God's promises. It'll keep you from entering into freedom. You can't have freedom. And this is on you. God will do His part, but you've got to do yours. You've heard me say that a bunch of times. And this part's on you. You cannot experience freedom in Christ without taking risks. Risks require faith. It just does. It requires it. But when you take that step of faith and you take that risk... God introduces His power. Because again, faith is not desire. It's not psyching yourself out. It's not pretending. It's not a feeling. It's not bargaining with God. Faith is not seeing through your physical eyes. Faith is seeing through God's perspective. And you have a choice. I can choose to see through God's perspective, which is what we're going to deal with next week. I'm going to show you all God's perspective and what faith is. This week, we're talking about fear. When you choose to see through the glasses or through the lens of fear, you're going to exaggerate problems, which many of us have done. You're going to underestimate what you're capable of, your abilities in Christ, what God can do through you because of that fear. It's going to discourage you. You're going to complain. Then you're going to blame God. Then you're going to be completely out. And for the people of the Israel, the nation of Israel, when, when they blamed God and they went through this, God refused to let that entire generation cross, cross over into the promised land. They didn't get to touch it. They didn't get to see it. After all that they had gone through with Pharaoh, after all they had gone through with Egypt, they didn't get to even taste a single piece of fruit from the promised land. Didn't get to, didn't get to walk on it. Didn't get any of it. Because God said, nope, I'm not going to honor fear. I'm going to honor faith. 